to praise Him for, don't we, church? Let's continue singing our testimony this morning.
maybe you would, would just testify that the Lord has been good to you this week. Anybody? Yeah, praise Him. Praise Him. He's been good to me too, I shared with my team. It's, it's not been a great week, such as life, right? We've talked about this week after week. Ups, downs, goods, bads, trials, hardships, sickness, discouragement, all of it in life. But as I, as I spent um, some time this week, um, quite honestly, wrestling over these songs this morning, I just heard the Lord say so clearly, I'm holding you. And it, just as quick as he told me that, he said, that's for you all too. He is holding us, church. And he loves us like a father loves his children. And we've sung, we've sung of uh, the testimony of, of, of Jesus Christ and, and the work that he's done on the cross. And as this is building up to Easter and we are focusing more and more on it, it is, it is just impossible that God is not filled with love as he has laid out the redemption plan, right? It's impossible that this is not filled with his love and his goodness for us. So I pray that as we sing this last song, you would feel held in his love and in his goodness and trust in, in the nature of who he is and know that he is guiding us, right? The second verse of this song talks about, about us. We, we all, we need answers, right? And there's one place we can look and that's to God our Father because he has the truth and he has the answers. And as we live our lives submitted unto him, he is a good father that leads his children in the right places. Amen. Let's sing. I've heard a thousand stories what they think you're to
beautiful song. It can also be challenging if we're honest. We know with our mind, don't we, that God is good and he loves us and he cares for us. And sometimes life just doesn't seem to unfold that way. Perhaps we question why God or, or when God or how God are you going to do something. But he does. He's faithful. He does keep his promises. He is perfect in all of his ways. Maybe that doesn't mesh up this morning with how your life is unfolding, the way that you're weak-whipped, or the way that the season that you find yourself in is going. Let me remind you and assure you that God has proven himself time and time again. We just look back, we can be reminded of his faithfulness. In those times, help us to wait. Help us to be persevering in our spirit and our continuation of following after him. We go to prayer this morning. Know that our God is big enough for our questions, big enough for our wondering, for our tears. He's even big enough to have an argument with if you'd like to. But I'll caution you, if you do choose that route, he always wins. Because <laughs> he's good. He's good. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I believe each of us have had times in our lives where we've not questioned who you are, but we've questioned what it is you're doing or how you're doing it or why you're doing it. Having this preconceived idea of what answered prayer looks like or, or have you move in our lives what that would appear to be like. And we're left at times wondering, Lord, so many questions that don't just get answered in our timing or in the way that we'd like them to be. But God, in those moments, we step back. <clears throat> As Jesus instructed his disciples, we begin by acknowledging who you are. You're our Heavenly Father. Lord, we as your people are to hallow your name, to lift you up, to praise you. Before we bring any other requests, before we think of anything else that we might need or, or want to pray about or to pray for, Lord, we're to hallow your name. So God, we begin with that this morning. We lift you up because you are good. In the midst of our doubts and our wondering or our waiting, we begin, Lord, with you. Lord, under that umbrella, and Father, we can come just as we are. Perhaps, God, we come with praise and thanksgiving. We've seen your hand at work. We, we have acknowledged your goodness this week, and you've been faithful and you've answered prayer, perhaps in ways that we've wanted, maybe in ways that we haven't wanted, Lord, but we still see your hand at work regardless, and we thank you. But I also know, Lord, each week we come heavy-hearted, we come weary, we come tired, we come wondering, perhaps even wandering. Perhaps we've prayed the same prayer for a long time, over and over, wondering, is there any point to this? Are you even here? Are you even listening? And while I know the answers might not come in this moment, I do pray, Father, that your spirit, your presence, your voice we overwhelmingly heard and felt experienced today. We are here in your presence, not because we've come to church. You're always among us. But I pray, Lord, in this space, in this time, we'll push aside the distractions. We'll recognize, Lord, that you are right beside us. Put your arm around those who need to feel you close. Whisper to those, Lord, who need to hear you. Encourage and lift up and reassure those that are wondering God, you've got this. You're already at work in so many ways in our lives. Today, God, we just need to that reassurance again. Be reminded of your goodness. Those that are grieving, those that are sick, those in the midst of broken relationships, those that are overwhelmed at work or with life or with their children or grandchildren, or those that are carrying the burdens of loved ones or friends or family, Lord, that are far from you. Perhaps they themselves, Lord, have wandered a little bit. But we don't come with anything, Lord, that's a surprise to you this morning. Draw us close. Remind us of your goodness. Lord, as we talk about this morning the promises of God, help us to know, not just with our minds, with our hearts, that you keep your promises. You always have. You always will. Help us to lean into those promises today, to find one that we need, God, and grab hold of it. Be reminded, Lord, that you are faithful. We need that today, God. We thank you for it. Give you
you praise for it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, many years ago, many more than I like to think about, because it shows that our, our children grow up, and that's was always challenging as a mom and dad, you want them to stay little for a while, and then there's other times you wish you'd, well, you can't wait till they grow out of diapers, and and then uh, they, they do that, and they move on to something else, and you, you want them to slow down a little bit until, until you don't, And uh, but, but time has a way of always kind of having its way with us, and our kids get older, and I, I was reminded this week as we've been preparing for this uh, next part of our conversation about the four cups that we experienced in the Passover and the promises of God of a song that my wife used to sing to our children. It was written in 1975, and if, uh, for the Gaither fans among us, uh, you may be familiar with this. There's a song Gloria Gaither wrote called, Nobody? I Am a Promise. Remember that song? Yeah, some of you sang that to your kids. Maybe you had it sung to you as a parent, or maybe you sang it to your grandkids. But it's a beautiful song, and I'm not going to sing it for you because nobody wants to hear that. That's not why you came this morning. But it talks about how I am a promise. With a capital P, I am a promise. I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. See, you've heard this song. You know what I'm talking about. And it goes on to explain to the little ones or to whoever's hearing the song that there's so much potential welled up inside of us because of who God is, because of his plans he has for our lives, because of what he wants to accomplish in us. When, when our daughter was four years old, uh, she, she sang this with her mother at the, the church we were serving at, and I still remember that to this day, and uh, she's not four years old any longer. Uh, she's 24 years old, uh, but God's seen fit to give us another four-year-old, and uh, he just doesn't seem to quit with his promises, although sometimes I wish he would slow down a little bit. But God fulfills all the things that he promises us, and we're, we've talked about that last week, introducing this idea of God who, uh, having a heavenly Father who keeps his promises, and the four promises that we see in Scripture in Exodus chapter 6. We're going to be spending a couple more weeks in Exodus chapter 6. It may seem like an odd uh, Lenten series, introduction to Easter, if you will. But as we reveal each cup and what it means, I, I think you'll begin to understand that in Exodus chapter 6, we see this foretelling of what Jesus Christ is going to come and do in us and for us. Because ultimately, the promises that we see God fulfill in our lives, we see them expressed through the life of Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we read last week, through these, these promises, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. We are created to participate in the divine, in, in this holy nature of God. But what does that look like? How do we get there? Only through the help of a God who keeps his promises. Yesterday, we were at... A, uh, district children's Bible quizzing, and I had a chance to sit back and, and, and watch my wife as she worked with our kids and over the, these several hours of these last couple months in practice and preparation with two of our children, and I got to thinking yesterday that, that my wife has spent 20 years helping our children practice and participate for quizzing. That's a lot of Bible verses. It's a lot of questions, and I could see she was getting a little tired yesterday, but yet when you see your children succeed and do well, reminds you that it's worth it, that we're investing and pouring into them. We become this fulfillment of God's promise in our children's lives, and we help them come to know who Jesus Christ is through God's word. So the words, I am a promise, while it's very true, sometimes our children need help in understanding and recognizing their potential in the promise that they have within them. And each of us also have a role in a, uh, to play in, our, in the lives of those even that you're sitting beside today. Maybe there's fulfilled promises that people are needing and wanting and longing for, and maybe you will be the answer to someone else's promise today that God wants to work through you to help others come to know who he is. These four core promises that we read about in Exodus that God made to his people so many years ago, he's also making to us today through Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. We see in Exodus chapter 6 these four promises. Uh, the Israelites, the Hebrews, will call them the four I wills. These I will statements that God makes to his people. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you. 
I will be, there's another I will, then you will know. So there's another will at the end of that that we then take on ourselves. But before we can know, God has to do these things for us. And each of these four I wills is reflected in the Passover celebration that, that, that the Jewish people celebrate every year, even still to this day. We talked about what that represented last week, how God passed over while they're being held as slaves in Egypt uh, and took the lives of the firstborn. If you do not have the blood of the lamb painted over your doorposts, and because of that um, act of, of passing over, they recognize all the things that God did for them and bringing them salvation and freedom from the hands of the Egyptians. And in the celebration of the Passover, there's four cups, each cup representing one of the I will statements, one of the promises that God makes to, to them and to us even yet today. Last week, we discussed the cup of sanctification. That's what it's called. It's the cup of salvation. It's the cup that brings us out. I will take you out. I'll bring you out from that which has kept you bound. I will, I will bring you this hope that you don't have in the midst of being slaves, in the midst of being in bondage. I'll bring you hope. I'll bring you salvation. I will sanctify. I will set you apart for my purposes. Now, in our tradition, we use the word sanctification to mean something a little different. And I think that, that means going to come into focus today as we talk about the second cup, the cup of deliverance. During the, this, the Passover recognition, they would get to a part in the ceremony, well, there would be a second cup that would be shared amongst the people that were participating. This cup of deliverance, I will deliver you. Now, there's a movie called Deliverance, and I, don't hope, you, I hope you haven't seen it, but if you have, it's a, you kind of, there's a really nice banjo sequence there, and, and so many people think that song was written or performed in West Virginia, where I'm from. It wasn't, by the way. That's a misnomer. It's really first and further south. I won't tell you what state that was. But I understand the uh, stereotype that kind of goes with that, but even right now, you can hear the song in your head. Some of you are, like, playing it out, and uh, we're not going to go there today, but this cup of deliverance goes along with the promise that God makes to us I will bring you out. I, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to give you salvation. But then that, that's a great part. But before we get to this point of being truly free, truly saved, God has to free us from bondage. The scripture tells us, I am the Lord your God. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. As we dig a little bit deeper today, I think this is going to start to resonate with many of us. Because some of us find ourselves stuck in this place, even yet this morning. It may seem like it's a duplicated thought. As we peel back the layers, you'll begin to understand it's something different that God wants to do in us, needs to do in us, and still desires to do in us through Jesus. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about the cup of redemption. That'll be next Sunday. And then after each, we'll talk about the cup of praise. The cup of praise is a beautiful cup that we all get to share in together. But today, the cup of deliverance, the cup of freedom. And what's interesting for us to understand is these first three cups, uh, a cup of sanctification, cup of deliverance, cup of, of redemption, those first three I wills, they're individual. When we get to the fourth cup, that's a corporate cup. That's a cup that we partake in together. Then and only then will we find fulfillment in our own lives as well as our life as a church. Only then will we find wholeness, not on our own, but together with our faith family, just as God intended for it to be. Each cup is unique, not mixed with the others. Each a standalone message, one of remembrance and a different expression of God's grace. And every one of us here today comes with a cup before us. Each one of us either has the first cup. If we're not yet saved, we have not asked God to forgive us of our sins. If we've not yet accepted salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have the first cup before you. You may not recognize it, you may not acknowledge it, but it doesn't change the fact that that first cup is right before you. God always comes with his grace. That first cup is always made available to us. Many of us, though, have received that first cup. You found forgiveness of sins, but maybe you find yourself not yet able to overcome sin. You still deal with temptation. You still struggle with making the right choices. Life tends to be this roller coaster for you. You need freedom. You need the second cup. You've come broken, wounded, wanting more. Well, if that's you, perhaps the third cup is something that God has for you, and we'll talk about that next week. Still not finding fulfillment in your spiritual life and your walk with Christ? Maybe you're lacking worship and praise, and we'll talk about that when we get to the fourth cup together. But today we're going to talk about something that might be a little bit difficult for us, but something that we need to acknowledge, we need to face, we need to ask, and we need to allow God to answer. Let me jump ahead to Exodus, Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. Uh, we see the Israelites going through this season of, um, of wondering, 
of, of waiting on God. Like, God, when are you going to answer? When are you going to do the things that you've told us you would do? We find ourselves stuck in this desert. They're hungry, they're thirsty, and they're complaining. <laughs> that sound familiar to some of us? In verse 3, Scripture tells us, The Israelites said to them, to Moses and to, to those that were leading, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. See, there we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food that we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. 400 years of slavery, bondage. God sends Moses. They've experienced these 10 incredibly powerful plagues from darkness to gnats to, to the Nile River turning into blood to the angel of death sweeping over the land. They've seen God's hand at work in incredibly undeniable ways. And in just a few short months, <laughs> only a month and a half, just six weeks of being in the desert, they start to want to go back to bondage. They want to go back to that place that kept them as slaves. Saying, well, if only we could have died there, it would be much better than dying here not the first time they've complained it won't be the last and in fact the exodus story contains 14 times of complaining god's people complaining to the god who saved them 14 times they knew that in egypt was slavery yet they wanted that they wanted what was familiar they wanted what was routine they wanted what they knew and it's some teaching for us a reminder for us today that Sometimes God has to get the Egypt out of us just as much as he has to get us out of Egypt. Just as much as we are forgiven of our sins, there's still work that God needs to do in our lives to get the sin out of us. He forgives us, yes. But there's still something in our nature that, wants, uh, that, cre that creates this longing in us for the things that keep us bound. We love the idea of being forgiven, of being absolved, of the consequences, of not having to, to, to receive the punishment that sin brings. Yet we continue to long for those very things because it's familiar to us. So today, if you've drank of the first cup, this cup of sanctification of salvation, that's a beautiful thing. But now perhaps you find yourself facing this need for the second cup, where God needs to come and take the Egypt out of us. He's taken us out of Egypt. You still long for that life? Do you still long for some of those choices? Do you still long for the things that this world might offer? If so, then God perhaps needs to take the Egypt out of you this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's a very familiar passage for many of us who understand and have studied God's grace. It says in the New International Version, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's by grace that we find salvation. And that's a beautiful statement. I, I love how it's worded in the New Living Translation. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for it. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Continues in verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Belief, we read about in the New Living Translation. It's this Greek word, we've talked about it many times, pistuyo, but a different version of pistuyo, pistis. Pistis means to have faith in. It's by faith you have been saved. It's by faith you've received this grace. It's assurance. It's founded in conviction. It's a life-changing, action-changing decision that one makes. It's by grace we've come to believe. We're going to change our actions, change our thinking, change our way of life because we believe in this so deeply. It points us back to John chapter 3, verse 16, where we see another root word, pistuyo, to believe. You don't just know it to be true. You live it to be true. See, we know, when we know John 3, 16 to be true, when we, we, we say the prayer, it's this cup of sanctification, but when we go a little bit deeper, when we believe it to be true and it changes our life, that's the cup of deliverance. We grow in our faith. There's a progression here that we follow. We just stop at the first cup. We miss out. We cheat ourselves. And before long, when life doesn't go the way we want it to, we find ourselves longing to go back to the Egypt in our lives, whatever that might be, because we just can't shake the shackles. We just can't break through with the handcuffs. We want to go back to that which we are comfortable with, even though we know what it means. 
Israel's the same way, and, and we're, we're not so different in our life today. And, and I think that the trick for us is to acknowledge that and, and to continue along in the process and to not just uh, talk about the second cup, but to pick it up and to partake of it, to drink it. The scripture is filled with things that God wants us to do. The question is, how do we reconcile the works with the idea of grace? And, and we, we know that we receive grace and the salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's true. But if that's all it is to us, then we don't truly understand it. Because the, the idea of salvation is just the beginning of one's relationship. If we just stop with the prayer of, Lord, forgive us of our sins, then we don't really understand who he is or why he came or why he sent his son to die on a cross for us. He wants us to live life in relationship with him. The idea of what comes next, the call and the purpose and the promise that God has for us, and the reason that we should pursue it or desire to want it, because through the four cups we, we come to understand that these cups can't be mixed. And when we try to blend our attendance and our service and our giving and our singing into this idea of, of what salvation is all about, then we take away the room in our lives for grace to work, for God to continue helping us to become this fulfilled promise that he created us to be. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes to con that we are to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you and to act and to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is at work in us as we continue to work out our salvation. Salvation occurs in an instant. That, that is true. It's undeniable when we believe and we confess that we, we find salvation, we receive it through the blood of Christ. But the next step takes a process. The first cup is quick, perhaps even easy, when, when the Holy Spirit's given room to work and we experience the conviction and the need for salvation. The second cup takes a little bit of time. It's like that really hot coffee. I, I, don't, want, I don't understand how people can get hot coffee and just, just chug it. I, I, just, I just can't do that. I, I got to really take my time. I take little sips. I got to cool it off. Actually, I don't even do coffee at all. But when I'm doing my hot chocolate, I, I'm kind of taking my time with that. I like to add a little bit of milk. I even add an ice cube or two here and there. I got to cool that thing down a little bit so it, it's, it's more palatable. It doesn't burn my mouth. You understand what I'm talking about? Some of you can, you can drink stuff that's boiling. It doesn't bother you. I don't get that. I gotta sip it a little bit. I gotta take my time. I, I need to kind of, it, it's a process for me. And, and it's the same way that we, the second cup, it's not something we just chug. It, it's not something we just guzzle. It's something we, we take our time with. Many years ago, I, my mom or my dad and I had a lawn care business. And uh, over the summers, we would cut uh, anywhere from 30 to 50 yards. And of course, I had some friends from high school that would go with us. And we would always stop it at, at the 7-Eleven because that's where you could get the, the, the super big gulps. And not just the little cups, we would get the super big gulps. And, and there would be times where we would have competitions to see how fast we could drink our big gulp. Not the best idea when it's 85 degrees out and you're mowing grass. But that's another story for another day. But we would chug the big gulp as fast as we could and often pay the price for that. But the cup of deliverance is not something you can chug. It's something you have to slowly take in and in that process, God reveals himself to us, but then God does something incredibly helpful and humbling. He reveals us to us what it is we need to do and what it is we need to change in order to continue to experience the promises that he has for us. Just as the Trinity has three parts, so do we, body, mind, and spirit. And in partaking of the second cup, all three have a, have a role to play, have a part in the process. Our body, our physical body, we have desires and wants. And when the body's in charge, typically we're faced with addiction or sex outside of marriage or food becomes an issue or we deal with all of these physical temptations that we just can't get past. But when the mind is in charge, we have thoughts or emotions that we know are unhealthy but we just cling to, we just won't let go of. And then what we believe to be true becomes our truth even though what we believe to be true might be different than what we read about in God's word. And we come to this point of rationalization and justification when, when our mind is in control. It's a different set of temptations, but they're just as dangerous. And when our spirit is not in the right place, when perhaps we've been wounded or hurt, or we've been neglected, or, or when others have, have just led us in the wrong direction, then our connection with God is broken. And when we come to accept that as our reality and let go of the hope that we have in him and we quit pursuing him, 
then those temptations have a tendency to keep us bound. All three, body, mind, and spirit, are an important part of the process because we have to deal with each of those to come to this understanding of who God is and what he's trying to do in us as he tries to take the Egypt out of us. We're all people with issues. I have them, you have them, the person next to you has them. Whether they be body issues or mind issues or spiritual issues. But the second cup that God offers to us helps us address these issues and keeps and helps us come to this place of restoration. But if we just look at the cup, we never pick it up and drink of the cup, then we never find the healing that God asks or offers to us. We never find fulfillment. While the sanctification, this idea of being set apart, this victory over sin that we receive through the blood of Jesus Christ is a beautiful first step. If we don't deal with the sinful nature, then we never get to participate in the divine that we started our service with today. We are saved for this divine participation, this divine walk with God. And life ends up with resulting conflicts and battles that we fight against our nature time and time again. It shows up between the first and second cups. This first cup was instant. The second cup takes work. It shows up in our lives in three different ways. Talk about those three ways very quickly. We're going to spend a lot of time on them, but these are the ways it might look in your life. The first way the second cup helps us or shows up is it gives us victory over sin. It finally takes away the shackles forever, and then they're gone. If we allow the second cup to really work in our lives and to grow as we are to grow in our relationship with God and allow God to help us with this nature that keeps imploring us to go back to that which keeps us bound. Romans chapter 7 Verses 21 through 25, kind of a longer passage, but there's some powerful works in here that Paul writes with us. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, which I hope all of us want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, Paul writes, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's acknowledging, I'm fighting this battle with my body and my mind and my spirit that I can't win. I'm a wretched man, Paul says. Now, Paul's going to write that. Now, of course, the things he did before coming to Jesus Christ were, were pretty bad. But now he's found salvation through Christ. He's received the Holy Spirit. And he still acknowledges that apart from what God does, he's still pretty lost. He's still a slave, and he he is subject to death. But thanks be to God, he writes, who delivers me? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who offers us the second cup, this cup of deliverance. All of these things that Paul's dealing with that he's subjected to are things that he's doing to himself, be it addiction or apathy or gossip or complaining or pride or, or consumerism or substances, or stealing, or lying, or pornography. We could keep on going. Whatever those things would be, we choose those things. Oh, what a wretched man I am, Paul writes. What hope do I have? Apart from Jesus Christ, we don't have any. But we can have victory over sin. And there's exclamation marks in this passage. He says, thanks be to God, I have been delivered, Paul writes. We too can be delivered. He is our deliverer. This cup of deliverance takes us not just out of Egypt, but takes the Egypt out of us. Second way that this cup manifests itself in our lives is it brings healing. Healing to the wounds that we've had inflicted upon us. If the victory of sin helps us to overcome what we do to ourselves, then the second cup helps us overcome what others do to us. Those wounds that others have inflicted upon you through a deceit or mistrust, or abuse, or, or the lies that you've been told, or the times you've been let down, in all three parts of your life, be it physical, mental, or spiritual. See, the devil's plan is to keep you stuck where you are. If he can keep you complaining, if he can just keep you in the desert, if he can keep you longing to go back to the place from which he had you before, then he keeps you stuck. But God offers us victory. Then he offers us healing. The second cup helps us overcome what others have done to us, the hurt that they've inflicted. It helps us get unstuck, to get out of the loop, so to speak. See, Satan, he doesn't have to worry about those that are apathetic, 
those who, who justify their action, those who have rationalized uh, their decisions. Or, the, or he doesn't have to worry about Christians who can't overcome the battles uh, between our bodies and our minds. He just leaves us to our own back-and-forth cycle. He not to spend much energy on us because he knows that we're not going to get out of it on our own. But until we acknowledge that and recognize that Jesus is still offering us the second cup, that's when he starts to worry. But God brings us healing from the, from the wounds that we have had inflicted upon us. He brings us victory over sin. And we allow God to take the Egypt out of us, those desires and impulses, habits and, and preferences, thoughts and emotions. He takes them upon himself. He helps us get unstuck. Statistically, 87% of all who profess to be Christians get stuck right here. 87%. And let's not dismiss statistics. Let's not think we've got the, the, it figured out and they don't apply to us. They do. And there's some here this morning that applies to you. You're stuck. Because you won't let God help you deal with the wounds. You won't let God help you with this sinful nature. And you find yourself longing for what was back for you in Egypt. You know it's not fun. You, you know it's unpleasant. But for some reason, we want to go back there. We just yearn for it. We can't get over the wounds that have been left or inflicted upon us. We can't get over the hurt. We want to go back to those, to those days in which we were bound. See, wounds lead to bitterness. They lead to anger. And they keep us stuck. Later in Ephesians chapter 4, we read chapter 2 earlier. Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. The New Living Translation, I, I, I like how this is worded. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Word a little bit differently, but I think the takeaway is slightly different as well. In, in the NIV, in your anger do not sin, I think we can get really good at justifying our anger, calling it righteous or spiritual anger. We see that Jesus performed in the temple and overturning the tables. Most of the time, though, in our lives, it's not that. We just don't want to let go. We like the idea of being wounded. We like the idea of being angry. We want to be justified. We want to be right. We want others to tell us that we're right to be mad. We hold on to it. This is what Paul's warning us about. Don't sin by letting anger control you. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Sometimes we have wounds we know we need healing from, but we like our wounds. We, we like the scabs. We want to use the scabs to, to kind of give us justification for feeling the way that we do and want others to feel the same way. We hurt, so we want others to hurt. We get stuck. And we're in this cycle. That this, oh, I'll, I'll take salvation, but I'll never get past the second cup. I'll go back and get my sins forgiven, but I'll never get past the second cup. I've taken a few sips, but I've never finished the cup. And Egypt never gets taken out of us. But you cannot have a fulfilled tomorrow, church, while dragging yesterday behind you. Say that again. You'll never have a fulfilled tomorrow while you're dragging your yesterday behind you. We need healing. Some of you are carrying some pretty deep wounds, wounds that have been inflicted for years, and you're still holding on to them. And in the midst of holding on to these wounds, anger wells up every once in a while, maybe not all the time, but just enough to make it pretty obvious that there's some things that we haven't let go of yet. So the second cup brings us victory over sin. It brings us healing from our wounds. And then the third thing that it does for us, it gives us authority over the enemy. It gives us authority over the one who wants to keep us bound. Chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the principalities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is a spiritual battle. And too often we go into this spiritual battle completely unprepared, as if we're strong enough to face it and to deal with it on our own. Scripture tells us to put on the full armor of God. Not of our own understanding, not of our own abilities, not of our own thinking, but all that God offers to us, because we will never be able to withstand the devil's schemes on our own. For some here today, you've been trying to fight this battle on your own for a long time. You bear witness. You are a living testimony of what those fights look like. 
But thanks to the second cup, the cup of deliverance, we have authority over Satan. Because of what God does in us and is continuing to do through us, we have authority over him. That we continue to be reminded that we don't need to invite others to mess up our lives or to wound us because we do a pretty good job of that ourselves. If Satan is intentional in planning against us, why would we not be intentional about fighting him off or doing what we can do to protect ourselves? Do you plan for these battles? Probably not. You get up in the morning and think, well, Lord, I'm, I'm going to face a big spiritual battle today. How do we get ready for that? We set up boundaries. We, we say no to certain things and yes to others. We pray. We, we ask God to go before us. And I wonder this week how many have been confronted with the devil's schemes these last several days or several months, and you wonder, well, Lord, why do these things keep happening to me? You put on the full armor of God. You step back from the battle, claim the authority over the one who is causing all of these things to happen or, 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 or leading us into these directions where these things happen to us. Or do we plan? Do we pray? Do we take a sip of the second cup? This cup of deliverance brings us victory, brings us healing, brings us authority. We have to choose to drink it. We have to choose to acknowledge that we need it. We have to see the Egypt in us and it's taken out of us. If you want to drink this cup, (laughs) if you want the deliverance that God offers, this idea where he's going to come and to do something in us that we cannot do on our own, to take away the yearnings for the things of this world, it begins with us being honest with ourselves. It begins with us swallowing our pride, acknowledging that our problems and our issues often are rooted because we allow them to be rooted in us. But here's where we find hope. Here's the help that God gives to us. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives you life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We could find freedom from this law of sin and death that keeps us bound. We find it through Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation. And this is the good part, because if you're here looking for a perfect church, I got bad news, you're not going to find it here. So if that's what you're pursuing today, you're in the wrong place. We are flawed people. We are broken people. We're in need of a Savior, but thanks be to God, we can find freedom in the blood of Jesus Christ, a relationship with Him. And because we belong to Jesus, He then sets us free from the law of sin and death. He then helps us deal with our own sinful nature so that we can choose what God wants for our lives. Keep reading in verses 5 and 6. Romans chapter 8, this is the New Living Translation again. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. What did you think about in your life? You leave church on on Sunday. What's Monday through Saturday look like? What does your mind, your life, your home look like? You think about the divine things, you think about sinful things. That itself should tell us what it is that we're dominated by. But those, Paul writes, who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And here again we find this invitation to participate in the divine nature that God calls us to. Letting your sinful nature control us keeps us stuck, keeps us bound, keeps us in prison, leads us back to Egypt, and ultimately leads to death. What has control over what you think? The things of God, the things of this world, or the, the selfish things, or the divine things? How would we respond to that question? Proverbs 23, verse 18, I'm sorry, 28, verse 13. Who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. James 5, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed begins with us drinking the first cup. You can't have the second cup till you drink the first cup. And in the first cup, God takes us out of Egypt. In the second cup, God takes Egypt 
out of us. We need both cups. And this idea of redemption we're going to talk about next week, it's a powerful thought of what Jesus does in us and for us, through us. It leads us to the fourth cup, this cup of praise. We never really fully praise and worship him apart from having cups one and cup two. So what's the practical response to this idea of having the second cup before us? Well, drink it. <laughs> Participate in it. Pick it up. Uh, gulp it. Not really gulp it. You can't gulp it. As you sip it, take it in. Perhaps you've already drinking the first cup, but you're stuck on the second cup. And maybe a practical thing you might want to do is baptism if you've never been baptized. Here on, on April 29th, we'll have a, a time of baptism in our service. Maybe that is something you've not yet done. Take this extra step of faith in your life. Uh, being, being part of a church, which hopefully as you're here today, you've chosen to come and to worship with us. Uh, but maybe going a little bit deeper in that commitment, in that involvement. Uh, you know, in the New Testament, there's 30 times in Scripture where we, talk, we see this idea of worship, serving, giving, praying in a corporate fashion together. Your associations, your participation in the life of a church matter. It's important. It, it, it's necessary. When you buy into and choose to be part of a vision, the mission of a church, and not just about a pastor or about a worship style or about programs, but you become a part of, of, of the very heart of what God's wanting to do in our community. Take that next step and to become part of what God's doing here. Perhaps you might choose to join a group or to be accountable, be discipled, to learn how to study his word, to learn what's in his word, how you can get past these things that keep us bound. There's practical steps we take. It's not simply about sipping a cup. There, there, there's things we then have to do when we leave here on Sundays. What does your life look like when church is over? Is it filled with the, the nature of this world? Do you find yourselves wondering how to put more of God's divine nature into your daily life? Second cup, it's before many of us today. About 80%. And if you're stuck this morning, you don't have to be any longer. As I began, not only was my daughter a promise, but you are a promise. You have potential. Regardless of where you're at in your life or how old you might be or how young you might be, God has a promise in your life that you maybe is yet unfulfilled, but can be fulfilled. We would just choose to drink of the second cup. I invite you to stand with me this morning. And we're, we're building towards something. So I've been struggling with how to close these services, but we're just going to let God have his way and do what he wants. But it's just a, a prayer of, of acknowledgement of what's before you this morning. Where are you at? What might you need to do as you leave this place? What choices might need to be different next week? Is there armor that you need to put on that's different than what you put on last week? You don't have to be stuck. God loves you. God keeps his promises. Perhaps you've got the Egypt stuck in you. Today, God can help you with that as well. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, for the wisdom, maybe the, the honesty, to have just an honest dialogue with you these next few moments. That God, you would help us to recognize where we are in our spiritual journey. Have I drank the first cup? Have I experienced uh, this salvation, this, this set apart, this forgiveness of my sins that's available to us through the blood of Jesus? Have I received this gift of grace and salvation? Lord, if I haven't yet, that first cup is still there, and all I have to do is say, Lord, I want that. I'm tired of being separated from you. I'm tired of being a slave to my sin. If that's you this morning, Scripture tells us all we need to do is to confess our sins to him, and he is faithful and just to forgive us. Tell God we're sorry. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing. Father, there's some among us today that undoubtedly have prayed that prayer. 
And Lord, perhaps frustratingly so, have found themselves praying that prayer over and over and over again. And Lord, they just can't figure out why they can't find the true victory over this sin, Lord, that they know that you've forgiven. And they keep, find themselves stuck and bound, God, and they, they're, they're frustrated. They want help. They want healing. They want hope, Lord, from this. This can't be what you have in mind, Lord. They understand and they know that to be true. So, Lord, what is it that they need today? Today, God, they might need to take up the second cup to allow you, God, to help take the Egypt out of them, to deal with this nature, Lord, that we all have, Lord, the sinful nature of which we're born, that we have to at some point our faith life deal with and confront and surrender. Paul wrote, Lord, in Romans, through the blood of Jesus Christ, God. The same response. If we give you the authority to come in, you will, you will change that within us that keeps us stuck. You invite us, Lord, to participate in the divine, in the holy. And all of a sudden, that which, Lord, was wounding us and kept us angry and, and, and kept us continually finding ourselves defeated at, at the feet of Satan, Lord, now we find true victory over sin, over self, over what others have done. Lord, I pray for those this morning that find themselves there. Lord, there's more waiting for us. There's more we're going to experience together in, in this Lenten journey. There, there's more still ahead of us, God, as, as we get closer to Easter. Lord, as we get past Easter, there's so much more waiting for us, Lord, but we can't receive it. We, we can't understand it, but it can't be part of our lives unless we get these first two right. So God, give us the courage to consider and think about where we're at with you this morning. As you talk to us in this discovery, Lord, of the Passover you had with your disciples, this last supper, you told them to drink and remember. Help us not to forget. And as Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. Thank you, Jesus, for being the fulfillment of all of God's promises. May that be a truth that we cling to today. Continue to work in us, Lord. You're not done yet. Have your way with us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what cup you had before you this morning. Don't be afraid to drink it. Our God promises to take us out that which keeps us bound and take out of us that which keeps us bound still at work in each of our lives help us to be faithful as we live it out so that others can see what he's doing in and through us god bless you have a great day